Hey, everybody. Use our code, the Aquarium Guys Podcast, for Blue Crown Aquatics, and you get free shipping. It's like 45 bucks in your pocket. Again, Blue Crown Aquatics, the Aquarium Guy Podcast. Get all your nice shrimp and fish. So if you... If you've ever purchased on any other websites, you realize that shipping is the cost. It's not the fish product. You'll find it, you know, fair, reasonable prices, but it costs a lot to get the heat packs, to get the oxygen in the bag, everything working okay. Blue Crown Aquatics is the place to get shrimp, and it's next day shipping. And it's shipping to your door, to not your to door. the airport. Right, because no one wants to deal with Schmelta Airlines. Not Schmelta Airlines, not me. No, thank you. Never again. You're listening to this. It's going to be the, you know, day after Christmas. You want that last minute, you know, I forgot what to get that person for Christmas, and we're meeting at New Year's. BlueCrownAquatics.com, next day shipping to their drawer for award-winning shrimp. Check it out. Actually, it's more get yourself what you wanted for Christmas. There you go, even better. Right, you know, turn in, (laughs) trade those Subway gift cards in, and give you some cold, hard cash and save some money at BlueCrownAquatics. Our charity of choice. Our charity of choice. The guy that we irritate each and every week, and he loves us. The Ohio Fish Rescue is literally a fish rescue made out of Big Rich and Josh's home. They have over 88,000 gallons, and their entire idea is to give big fish the home they once deserved instead of being purchased at uh, you know your local Walmart that got closed. Now those pakus really don't fit in that 20-gallon anymore. So don't buy a paku, and if you do have a fish, you know certainly give them a call, but they need your love. OhioFishRescue.com. Buy a T-shirt, give him a couple bucks, or his number's on there. Call him and tell him you love him. Tell him you love him and call late. He loves that. He does. We tell him that every week, and people call him late. And send him Prime. Send, <laughs> send him <laughs> lots of Prime. Send him lots of Prime, yeah. He loves that. All right, let's kick the episode. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys podcast with your hosts, Jim Colby and Rob Zolson. All right, guys. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys podcast. So... This week, with one of our listeners, I got to, to mess with Jimmy, and I love messing with Jimmy to uh, my core. So uh, we got an email from, you know, I don't normally give people's names out and information. Yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Rob. Go ahead and, and, and just just gloat here a little bit. I guess. So we got an email from Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. I was excited. So- I still am. He is excited. So I call up Jimmy like, dude, we got an email from Ryan Reynolds. You won't believe this. He apparently listens to the podcast as a fan. He's got some questions. I got to send this over to you. And Jimmy, hook, line, and sinker bought this. You know, just cast out, locked locked it in, reeled it in. And I said, is this the Ryan Ryan Reynolds who is like, like what, the superhero guy, that, right? Deadpool, Deadpool right? guy, yeah, right. I'm like, him. oh my god, that he's my second awesome. favorite actor. It was awesome because that's that's who we got the email from was Ryan Reynolds. Absolutely. So I sent over the email, and let me read it to you all. Hey, guys, just found your podcast, have uh, consumed all episodes at work, and enjoyed them all. I am a bus mechanic at a school, and noticed they pulled an aquarium out of the library high school during the summer up until two weeks ago. It's been sitting in the maintenance shop in the way of everything, so I finally asked the boss lady what her plans were for it. Uh, Before I got the question fully out, she told me to take it home before I throw it in the dumpster. It's a big tank. 60 long, 18 wide, 20 high from the outside measurements. Do you know how many gallons this is? I'm guessing between 80 to 100. I've been reading up and wondering if you could give me some good fish to put in this to make a beautiful stocked, peaceful aquarium tank. It's been many years since I've actually had an aquarium. I've never had one this large. Any help would be uh, amazing. Thanks so much, Ryan Reynolds. So 
immediately I got cussed out by Jimmy, you know, because I got his hopes up, thought it was the real Ryan Reynolds. And I'm just saying it really could be the real Ryan Reynolds, all right? We don't know what he does in the side hustle. He could be a bus mechanic. He could be a bus mechanic, yes. I'm just saying, so Ryan Reynolds, if you're listening, uh, we really think your wife is hot. Yeah, and also I checked out your the uh, aquarium dimensions at about 93 and a half gallons. Is right. what it was at, and uh, but yeah, I, I Rob was trying to tell me that that maybe you know you filmed Deadpool in the back of a bus. I don't believe him at all, but you never know. It, it could have happened, or at least a couple scenes. A couple you know? scenes in the back. Maybe of that's bus. why he had to be a mechanic, set up the scenes correctly. Yeah, but we were we excited. No, you know, that's the closest we've ever come to having a celebrity call us. Right. I mean, so we're pretty excited. So thanks again to Ryan Reynolds for that question and email. And immediately you're like, well, why couldn't it have been Betty White? Well, she's not going to call us. Yeah. Right? Get that get that out of out of your head. So if you're looking for some uh, a good fish ideas, 90 gallons really provides you a blank slate to build whatever you want. Uh, me, I have 125, and I decided to make it planted. I wanted an ecosystem to uh, help support itself in case my power goes out. So they have a little bit extra time some, with some oxygen without having uh, water movement. So certainly do your homework. If you're looking for fish, I mean, we can uh, we can hook you up, but there are great people out there. You know, find some uh, good lots on Aquabid, but above all else, go to your local fish store. If you have a decent local fish store, they'll give you options and they'll answer questions direct. And if you don't have one, you can always join us on Discord. It's the bottom of the website, AquariumGuysPodcast.com, and we'll be happy to answer your questions. And if you really need fish, we'll certainly hook you up from there, buddy. So again, thanks for the question. And we forgot introductions. I'm your host, Robbie Olson. And I'm Jim Colby. Where's and Adam? I'm Adam on the Shard. There he is. Ta-da. So today, we, we're super excited. We've been working a long time since we started the podcast to get, you know, we have this lineup of people that we want in the show eventually. and Superstars. We finally na- nailed a big superstar, right? A big, a big one. So today, we have Matt from the Amazonas Magazine. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Pleasure to be here. So again, we're we're big fans of Amazonas Magazine. For those that uh, have haven't read it or heard of it, you know, shame on you. It is you need the, to have it. You need to have it. I have everyone. I do too. You, you guys collect it. Guys. They have yes. a they have a bookcase where they keep all their issues. And if they loan me an issue, they'll write it down and they'll let me know. Hey, you done with it yet? Yeah. Hey, you done with it yet? You still have my shrimp one. I do. You do. Okay. I, I really I, do. I, I'm glad we did this podcast. So I, I had get that back. I had to get it, you know, because I've been trying to get a hold of these guys for a while, and yeah. I had to have contact information. But that might just disappear from your collection. You don't know. Yeah. No. Well, if it does, I can go back on Amazonas.com and order a back copy. I feel like we're ruining all this information that Matt could be giving us in a better. I form. know. So, just a quick uh, summary: Amazonas Magazine is the foremost, best freshwater magazine I'd say in the world. I, I'm, I'm just gonna call it. Maybe there's some others out there that do a good job, but this is this is the best one. So we're we're happy to have you, buddy. Yeah, we just we can't wait to start bombarding you with questions. That's fine. So I don't have any well, much well, other news. You did you finally bring that letter? No, I did that not. You were supposed I, to. I still didn't bring my letter. I'll bring my letter next week. You know, we even talked about the letter in the the last podcast uh, we did, and that was a pre-recorded podcast. So how many weeks has it been? It's for been about six weeks. Listener? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to send this particular listener a gift and apologies that we didn't get to read it on the air. Yeah. And then, again, too, we got, if for people want to sign up, we are handing out some free bulbs for aquarium bulbs. And we're going to send that out here at after the first of the year. So, if I remember correctly, you said you're going to be sending 10 bulbs to five different people. That's right. And uh, the bulbs arrived here this week. And we're going to get uh, everybody signed up. And whoever wants them, uh, we'll send them to you. 
Well, pick pick five out of whoever sends it in. So let me guess. When you got them, right, did you just get it local to the door, or did you have to pick them up from Schmelta? I did not go to Schmelta Airlines. I had them uh, brought in from Florida and uh, brought well, them to one of my local wholesale, or local retailers. Well, thank goodness, because what would be better than you getting checked at uh, you know Customs just for you know five baggies of bulbs? Yeah. No, that would, that would look real great. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> no. <laughs> so guys sign up aquarium guys pod aquarium guys podcast.com bottom of the website we have it'll say bulb uh, jim's bulb giveaway give it a click we just need your name number and address and we will draw now if you're in canada we apologize you know well, customs is, is terrible but we probably can uh, actually send it to australia we did get a person from australia that signed up really they're that bored in australia they're listening to us absolutely well, apparently let's... we're we're entertainment and tell it like it is <laughs> Sounds great. So, sorry to Canadians, but uh, we do love you Australians, apparently. Yeah. Uh, so, what is that? Ireland, Canada, um, Australia. We're, we're, there's so many countries popping up, but we're really prominent in Ireland, and we will even make an exception for you guys. So, uh, no matter where you're at, try to sign up. Doesn't necessarily mean you're you're out of the uh, the drawing. Yeah, we'll have to do our research before we start sending stuff out. Indeed. We have to do our homework, otherwise they'll really uh, have to put Jim on a list. Yeah, I've already been on a list. <laughs> you still are on the list. Hey, hey, hey. Everything in time. All right, guys. So just a quick reminder, go to our Facebook, ask us questions, Discord. We have our email address on the website and our telephone number, and we'll happily play your question over the air. We, we'd love that. We fixed it, I swear. Certainly find that at the bottom of our website. And uh, if you're so inclined, you want to support the channel, number one, support our sponsors first, but you can also donate to us either one time or monthly right on the bottom of our website as well. We have a tip jar, and uh, thank you for those that uh, that have. It's uh, fantastic to have such people that uh, care about our podcast and really uh, are supporting us to thrive. And we've been taking that money, and we've just been reinvesting and buying in new equipment so we have a better quality podcast for you guys. We did a test uh Live, a YouTube stream. We have a green screen, and we're, I'm, I'm bound and determined to finally get Jimmy in a green screen suit. You're It'll, not going to get me in a green screen <laughs> suit. I, I come on. I, I can. I can try. I look like a large dill pickle. Is what I look like. But no one will see it. It'll be just see through. See. No. Baby steps, guys. We'll, we'll get there. At least we're going to do live stream soon. But uh, thanks again for your support. And let's dive right in, man. I, I just I've been looking forward to this uh, this interview, Matt. How you doing tonight, buddy? Uh, it's been a long day. It's uh, we just came off of uh, getting Coral magazine sent to the printer, and we turn around and we uh, focus on the next issue of Amazonas. So, Matt, what uh, is your responsibilities for Amazonas and your other projects? Well, okay. So, uh, up until uh, last year, Amazonas was published by Reef to Rainforest Media, uh, which is based out of Vermont, and uh, it's uh, headed up by James Lawrence and uh, Judy Ballard. They started, they took over Coral Magazine, I want to say back in 2009. Before that, they had been publishing a lot of books. So you'll also see Microcosm as one of their imprints. So a lot of aquarium books that have come through, if you look, their Reef to Rainforest Media or Microcosm Publishing, that's the company behind Coral. Coral originates out of Germany uh, in NTV, so it actually starts as a German publication. And I want to say it was 2010, Marine Aquarium Conference of North America. I want to say it was down in Florida. When James Lawrence approached me, I was already writing for Coral um, and was a senior editor for Coral, I think, at that time, uh, or became one thereafter. And he showed me this German freshwater aquarium magazine. And I couldn't read it, but it said Amazonas. And I just looked at it and said, this is amazing. This is beautiful. And he says, what do you think? I said, I think uh, if you're going to do this. This is the freshwater version of coral. Yes, you should do this. 
towards the end of 2011, I was continuing to work uh, with James uh, a little bit on Coral, but it was not my full-time or even part-time job. It was just, uh, I wrote an article once in a while, maybe read, uh, proof an article once in a while. Just just a casual relationship. I, I wound up getting laid off. Uh, I was a Flash developer. And this is about the time when Flash uh, and Steve Jobs, that we were talking about it before the show. Uh, this is about the time that Adobe kind of took a hint, a hit and said, okay, we concede uh, the days of Flash are kind of coming to an end. James heard I was freshly unemployed and said, hey, you got to come, want to come work for me and help me launch Amazonas? And uh, of course I did. So back uh, the first issue was the January, February 2012 issue, which landed December of 2011. I've been with two magazines as my primary source of income since that time. I am kind of a jack of all trades for the publications. Done most parts of the business at one point or another. I would say the only thing I really haven't done is like ad sales. I, I have the capabilities of doing layout, um, although that's not what I do. These days, I'm one of the three publishing partners of Amazonas. So as I mentioned, we took over just a little over a year ago. And so myself, Stefan Tanner, who people may know from Swiss Tropicals, uh, and Mike Tucinardi, we are the three publishing partners behind Amazonas now. A lot of the staff is exactly the same staff that still also produces Coral. And I'm one of the unique people in that I still also work on Coral with James uh, and Judy and Reef Terrain Forest. So basically, we took over the Freshwater publication, freed James and Judy up to pursue some other things they wanted to pursue in terms of book projects and things like that. To get to the, I give you a huge history there, but to get to the meat of what I currently do, right now I have a to-do list a mile long. <laughs> it all gets, it's just a constant state of triage. So I need to look at all the new incoming, freshly translated English English edition that uh, for the next issue for the March April that's what we're looking at right now. So I'll proof that getting uh, images together to fill gaps we we haven't filled. Also working on trying to get another newsletter out this week. Just uh, I was just uh, tweaking our, uh, our our AdWords advertising. Uh, given that we're in the holiday season and we're trying to you know obviously we want want to get gift subscription purchases uh, in front of people really easy gift. No one's going to return Amazonas magazine. It's not like uh, I'm going to give you, oh, I, I found this little red-bellied fish at the store for, I thought it would be good for your tank. None of that kind of stuff. So no one's going to complain about a, or have a problem with a, a magazine subscription for the holidays. So that's pretty much, I also run all the social media for the publications. Uh, I have too many hats, but that's the way I like it. So that's a that's a lot to take in. Holy so cow! Your official title. <laughs> yeah. So when do you sleep? That's my first question. So your official title. Uh, you, oh no, sleep. Three right? to three to three to nine. That's when I sleep. See that that sounds like a Jimmy schedule. Yeah, no kidding, my <laughs> lord. And we're uh, Matt. You're located up in Duluth, correct? Yeah, we're we're up here in Duluth, Minnesota, and then Stefan's just down in Rochester, and then Mike and his wife Susan are over in uh, Boulder, Colorado, right now, and then the rest of the team is pretty much in Vermont. Okay, I just did some business with with uh, Stefan and, and ordered some uh, Matten filters for my shrimp tanks. Yeah, through Swiss Tropicals. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he's also the he's also one of the publishing partners of Amazonas. Fantastic. So your title here is a, a bit of everything. You said Jack of all trades. So senior editor, associate publisher, yes. and part owner. Well, associate publisher is my title with Reef to Rainforest and Coral Magazine, but I am a I am a publishing partner for Amazonas. Gotcha. And uh, so part owner would be correct then for Amazonas. Yeah, that's the same thing. Pu publishing partner, part owner. Yeah. Fantastic. I I can I can drop the hammer if I need to. 
<laughs> so, nope, that, that that can't can't put that out. That that fish isn't isn't beautiful enough. Do it again. So so how, how big is your business cards? I'm just kind of wondering with all those those hats I, that you wear. I actually I actually don't need to have a business card, so I don't have one. All he has left is the Flash developer business cards. If you want one, I, I, I just hand you a copy of the magazine and say, "Here you go." Are you, are so. you going to sign it for me? Sure. Then I'll sell it at Aquabid later. Make some money. You, you will. You, I, you would. I, think, I think that would. I think that would degrade it. I think you want an unsigned copy. Oh, okay. I just wondered. <laughs> so the magazine again. You said started officially like beginning of 2012, and it's well, been the English edition. The English edition, as was we know it, in right. 2012. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it starts, there's actually, because it's published um, uh, in Germany by NTV in German, it's been going for years before the, the English edition started. So we still have people who will write in and say, hey, are you ever going to publish this article that was printed in German in like, you know, 2006 or something? The answer is probably no, but it's possible. Um, we have, There's this huge huge archive of German content that will probably never see the light of day in English. And we pretty much try to mirror the German issue to some extent, but then we also have our own homegrown content that goes in. Whether it's Coral or Amazonas, they're not carbon copies of, of the German edition. They're, they're standalone, their own thing. And sometimes something that we produce here in, in the United States will actually go into a future version of a German one. So then we'll get a, a German issue back a couple issues later and say, well, that's our articles. We already ran that. That's out. They're not carbon copies. So then when did the German version start? I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I'm on your website, and it shows here that uh, 2005 is when uh, they have some history stamp. But again, that uh, that just shows how long you guys have been uh, been churning through. So you guys still, you said you're not a carbon copy, but you still start with the content in German and then put in your homegrown content. Yes, yes. That's fantastic. See, all good things come from Germany, like Volkswagen Beetles and great food, <laughs> great. beer. Beer. How about beer? Yeah. Beer. We'll pick beer. Pick beer. I, there's some good German wine too. Really? How, how do yes. I how do I not know about that? Rieslings, Gewürztraminer. They're they're good white wines. I feel like you Kinda traveled sweet. to Germany quite, quite <laughs> enough. So besides Oktoberfest, what uh, just to give an array? Again, the focus of the magazine is completely freshwater. So each issue, it doesn't necessarily have a theme, but you certainly have you know, your chosen like front page articles. And on every copy of Amazon's magazine, if you're to look at it, you'll see the hot topic or, you know, front page, uh, front page article. And you'll see everything like, I'm just reading a couple here, sweet Corys, new rainbows. And it really goes into expert depth dives of either the species, whatever the topic would from harvesting. It covers everything freshwater. So I, I got to say, what, uh, what what's some of your favorite articles that you've done since you've worked there? Or at least helped okay, work so, with? Well, sure. You know, I not to toot my own horn, um, but toot, when toot. we did the angel, when we did the angel, uh, angels rising issue, I looked at the content that we had. Um, I've got two that I'll pull out, and, and they're personal to me, so they come to mind right away. But the angels rising issue, I, I looked at the content. <laughs> And at the time, I was actively breeding freshwater angelfish uh, and wholesaling them and, and uh, was really getting into the genetics quite deeply and said, we, we need to cover this. I was a member of the Angelfish Society. It was well, uh, you know, Philippine blue. The genes were just really being nailed down. The Bulgarian green gene had just come out. And I said, we need to put this in the magazine. And so at the time, I'm just a senior editor. It's not 
uh, and an associate publisher. So I can make a suggestion. And James gave me the green light and I went head over heels into the genetics of angelfish. That was a really good contrast with, I think we have a, an article by Heiko Blair in that issue about uh, the wild diversity of terophyllum, uh, an article on breeding altums in that issue. I mean, that was, that's still a, a, an extremely popular back issue. I was going to say that um, that's what blew me away was the altums on that particular issue because that I used to breed a lot of I used to breed a lot of angels myself and I really enjoyed the heck out of that that particular issue yeah going going to the the whole to- way Amazonas kind of works is we do have that feature topic and that's going to be the uh, a good chunk of the issue is going to be at least three articles dedicated to that title topic so the january february one this time our, our feature is spectacular south america it's that's very open-ended but angels rising was very specific it was angelfish another uh one that i think will really be of interest to all the folks here in minnesota is the uh the two beta issues that kind of appeared back to back because the second uh, i want to say it was the first one it has the top-down shot of a white dumbo delta cover and that issue talks about the beta triangle down in the twin cities uh the mung run uh, uh beta shops the specialty shops that were only doing betas down in saint paul and just in this little triangle of a couple square miles were these three specialty shops that were there at the time and it was really a, a unique place and a unique time and to be able to put that out to an international audience was really, really exciting and a lot of fun. So that that's another issue that to me is really near and dear to my heart. But that's partially because there's a lot of me and what was important to me in those particular issues. In fact, right now, if you go down to you know, Minneapolis-St. Paul, there's a, still an array of fish shops that you can uh, go search. And we've been to uh, Tame Waters. There, there's a bunch of them. And they still have a mass selection of betas. And people come in oh, with pens trying to you know, see how they flare. Mm-hmm. They count the scales yep. in the body. And it's still a huge community there. So it's not something that completely went away for by any means. No, no, it's just, uh, you know, the it's hard to make those small businesses work. I mean, they were doing quite well. And I think Beta World is still there and Kuyang is still transshipping. And then Tamed Aquatics took over uh, the Minnesota Beta Shop, which was a really fantastic shop. I'm not sure what's happened with BJ right now, but yeah, I mean, there, there's still, the, that community is still there. Shops change hands, focuses change, and uh, but Betas, yeah, there's still, it's that's not going to go away. It's a part of it is the cultural uh, aspect of keeping betas within the Hmong community. So yeah. that's that's not going anywhere. Very, very fortunate to have to have all these uh, different shops down in that Minneapolis area, like we talked about earlier. We, we've spent quite a bit of time down there. I got turned on by several of the different betta species that I have never carried for myself. We came back and, and we brought in some Hellboy placots and some different koi bettas, which I've never carried before. And they're more of a high-end betta and I didn't think that my customers would pay that extra money for it. But by gosh, we have been surprised and uh, very happy with the sales that we've seen with these different bettas that people haven't seen up here in northern Minnesota. I think when people see a quality fish, they understand, especially if they're only used to seeing just a general run-of-the-mill fish. I mean, I used to wholesale guppies to some of the local shops up here. Uh, World of Fish right here in Duluth, I would bring in guppies that they would retail for i want to say five or six dollars and they would put them in the tank right above the regular run-of-the-mill asian import or florida uh, farm bred guppies that were three dollars each and they would sell the premium locally raised variety they would outsell those three to one and their survivability was higher so much higher um, people i think especially in the independent pet store environment 
if people are only used to seeing what's in a box store or a chain store and they come in contact with a higher end fish and they, they're familiar with the, the run of the mill stuff, they get it. If you just showed it to them and, and, and no one had ever shown them anything else, they wouldn't understand. I think it, it takes a little time to appreciate that. But once you do, it, it makes good sense for everyone. Yeah, I, I remember when the when the pest pastel colored guppies first came out, you know, the, the soft yellows and the soft pinks, almost Easter egg-like colors. Mm-hmm. I, I would bring those in and put them right next to the, the Sri Lanka guppies, the Florida guppies, and I could sell them 10 to 1 any, any day of the week. And those were locally bred by somebody here up in northern Minnesota. And they, they were the most beautiful guppies, and the, the guy just lost interest and sold all his stock. And I, to this day, I've never found anything to really replace it. But it, it's fun to see these different varieties that people come up with and, and spend years on working. Mm-hmm. So what I like to go for is you have a very unique place in Amazonas Magazine. And what we'd like to do in the future is, you know, some we want some future podcasts. And we'd love to talk to, you know, the people that are really getting these stories and some of the other people in your office. Because each person in the office has done different stories, done different pieces, and has a different perspective. And a magazine that strictly does freshwater fish for this many years... There's clearly a bunch of different stories, but I think that you come from a different perspective of you've been here from essentially the English version's beginning. And I'd love to know and tell our listeners, you know, how does the magazine get made from start to finish? You know, if we could follow that bouncing ball, really, really talk about that. So you guys release sure. your magazine um, every other month, correct? Yes, six times a year. And it, uh, so it comes as German text. It comes as a German a dump of German digital files. Uh, we, the text is pulled out. Uh, it's translated. And then that gets handed over to our executive editor, Ann Whitman, who goes through all that text initially and starts to make make her calls on which stories are good, which ones we don't like, uh, you know, and of course, flagging anyone that's already one that we did. I think that happens more on the coral side of things. But from there, that text gets sent out for review and that's where we are right now in the in the march april issue so i kind of alluded to that so uh we have a new deputy executive editor courtney tobler and myself we will usually look through and edit and proof those the english texts give our own opinions and comments and feedback from there we kind of make the final map of this is what the issue is going to be goes into production basically which is bringing on the art department there's three three people who do that they will create the layout for the magazine and where the article is going to appear lay out the text lay out the images and then we have an entire another round of review where we're looking at pdf files of the layouts and once again catching mistakes making comments on the layout proofing the entire thing again and then each each article will sit in its review phase for as long as it needs so if we might go back and forth on an article five times to get it perfect the way we want it. Other times, one and done. Uh, from there, while that's happening, all the advertising is being placed in the magazine. Mike uh, has a lot to do with that, and Susan does as well. We will start some of our marketing efforts as far as like, hey, we know when we're going to generate our mailing list that's going to be delivered for mailing out the issue. So. We've gotten in a good habit of saying, if you want to get the issue that's coming, here's what's going to be in it. This is the last date you can subscribe, and that will be the issue you get after that. So, for example, anyone buying a gift subscription right now, you're not going to get January, February. That ship sailed. That, that Those issues landed early December here in the U.S. You'll get it in the digital version, but 
the print subscriptions are going to start with March, April's issue. At some point when the deadline hits, hopefully we're all comfortable and happy. It gets uploaded to the printer. They look it over, it gets printed, it gets packaged, it gets mailed out. Uh, they also produce the digital version of the magazine and that gets uh, loaded into the digital reader and goes live a little bit. We changed our scheduling. We felt that if you're a print subscriber, you should get your magazine before the digital version comes. So we just changed our scheduling. And so I wanna say, the digital edition of the Spectacular South America went live maybe last week. I want to say about a week ago. P international subscribers, because it's all postal service mailing, people in Australia probably still haven't gotten their copies yet. I think it takes almost a month for them to get there. The Canadians should have their copies now, but we have subscribers all over the world. And then, of course, if you're a digital subscriber, you're going to get a digital edition every two months. It's basically you have both the looking at the magazine as if it was just laid out in front of you, but there's also a a mobile friendly flowing layout where it's just inline images and texts. So it's you have many different ways to consume the content that's in the magazine. So a couple more. And then we, oh, I apologize. We turn around. And we do it. Oh well, no, just say we turn around. and We do it all again. That, Rinse you know, and repeat. Uh, we, yeah, pretty much every two months. It's a two month cycle, and then Coral is positioned opposite that so for someone who works on both magazines it's it's a monthly cycle like i said i just finished uh putting the last uh, coral with uh, the team it got sent to the printer on thursday and it will it will arrive early january for everyone we're working on amazonas and and it kind of jumped back and forth the design teams have their cycles uh they're on a, a 12 month cycle or a monthly cycle so and I was just real curious, where do you mail them out of? I mean, do they come out of Minnesota? Or are they mailed out of somewhere centralized? And the reason no, I ask... Yeah, they, they no, the, they come from the printer, which I believe is based uh, on the East Coast. Okay, because Adam is in southern Minnesota. I'm in northern Minnesota. Adam usually gets his magazine about two weeks before I get mine. Are you bitter? <laughs> well, Adam calls, yeah, he is. Adam calls and, and goes, hey, did you get the new Amazonas? And I go, no. And then he spoils it for he you does. like He's, a bad movie fan? He is. He's a terrible movie fan. Shame on you, uh, You know, it, 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 that's the Postal Service. I mean, it's crazy here in Duluth. All our mail, even if it's just local, if I'm sending a, a post, if I'm sending a postcard to my neighbor, it goes down to St. Paul and then comes back up here. So it's... Uh, the vagaries of the postal system. That's the government at work for you. That's why dad tax is around. Man, <laughs> exactly. You're, you're, you're so bitter. Now I know that uh, when you get Amazonas Magazine, there's a smile on your face. It's relief that you ignored Adam for like four or five days. Exactly. And the one thing I have noticed is like the digital copy. There seems to be more information in the digital copy that's not in the paper copy. Is that true? Or is that, am I just drunk all the time? Uh, I don't know. Is the beer good there? Yeah, the beer is excellent here, and it's cold because it's right now. It's 15 below zero. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. No, uh, Which is probably a nice day in Duluth. Of it. They're, they're carbon copies of each other. The, <clears throat> excuse me. The, the digital edition is literally pulled straight from the, the print files, so it's the same thing. I was about to say, is like, is digital really better? Is that what you're finally well, saying, Well, what Jimmy? I'm finding is I'll find videos and stuff on there, you know, links to videos and different things, and of course... Well, uh, yeah, so we'll have links in, in the magazine, but you have to, like, you can't just touch the printed page and hey, boom, there goes your web I'm, browser. I'm like that a... does not stop him from trying, trust me. <laughs> I'm, I sit there and touch the magazine and nothing happens, and, you know, I'm like a monkey with a, with, with a typewriter. I'm just not, not real good. So I've... yeah, so no, all, all, the, all the advertising in the digital edition is linked to the advertiser websites, and uh, uh, we'll put um, supplemental content, like references. You know, a lot of our articles we get may have references so and supplemental really 
You said supplemental. Yeah, so, so I wasn't we'll put crazy. Supplemental stuff. Yeah. Okay. No, we'll, but but that, well, that will live. That currently lives usually either on Amazonasmagazine.com. I haven't. I, I have a lot of big projects since we took over the magazine, and the one that's still waiting is eventually Coral Magazine and Amazonas Magazine online content will be in each brand's um, website instead of Reef to Rainforest. So we still, and we're all friends. We still have all the Amazonas uh, digital content that's separate from the magazine. The, new, the email newsletters, all that stuff still points to Reef to Rainforest at this point. I mean, they're sister publications. We're always going to have some connection. Right. So, How many subscribers do you have to Amazonas? Several thousand. Several? I, I would have to pull up the I would have to pull up the exact number, but uh, I know it's in the thousands, several thousand. See, it's so, so confidential, he'll have to kill you. He'll have to kill me dead, yeah. Right. So how many, how many countries are you sending to? I don't know the answer to that one either. So but I have this one. one. <laughs> maybe one of my other friends can, uh, one of my other associates. Is your can wife there? Can I talk one? to her? Maybe she knows. <laughs> so I, I, I did you probably, you might talk in your sleep, but I might be able to find out. I did a touch of homework and on your, again, you go to amazonasmagazine.com. They have an entire about us section. And I believe, I'm just pulling it up here again. I think it said over a hundred countries. I, be, I believe that. So a, a couple questions. Number one. Because listeners are going to be listening to this uh, December 26th. That's when it's going to be starting. How can they sign up for these, you know, uh, end of the year specials or Christmas specials? It, when, when does that uh, promo end? Oh, we don't have any uh, promos. We, we, we did our... Um, it's full price all day we, long. Well, it's still a gift is what you're saying. <laughs> well, you can well, buy it for a friend. Yeah, okay, so so I, you know I can't get into the well I can't. Um, Go ahead. Pretty much, pretty much. You know, you have your cover prices. Uh, oh, it's up. It's nine ninety nine now. That means I have to update some numbers. That, you know what? Um, you just so, got a raise. Congratulations. Nah, no, no. <laughs> 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 oh no, no, I'm sorry. That's that's the Canadian price. My bad. It's still it's still seven ninety nine. I'm sorry to freak oh. everyone out. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Cancel the swimming um, no, pool, so, kids. So, so yeah. So it's you know if you're buying six issues a year at eight bucks, it's forty eight bucks. Well, a subscription is uh, twenty nine dollars. That's your discount because knowing what the magazine actually costs to produce, uh, especially with the the quality of the print that we're using, glossy um, stock. It's all it's it's all elemental uh, chloride free. It's a sustainable forestry initiative certified stock. The the sleeves that they're mailed in are recyclable with any other plastic bag recycling. Did not um, know that. You know, we it's it's as low of a footprint as we can have to produce as high of a quality product as we possibly can put out there, uh, short of making it a hardbound book. So that that's uh, fantastic. I mean, I think you guys should hang your hat on that. That that is good advertising right there. You've heard it, people, that they are trying to do a low carbon footprint. You can go to amazonasmagazine.com and subscribe, and you can purchase if you're looking for that, you know, after the fat Christmas gift for someone. You can purchase them an entire year, and what will that set you back? Uh, single single year subscriptions twenty nine bucks. That includes print and digital access. It's interesting internationally. We still send a lot of print internationally, but someone who's looking the shipping costs on a uh, on an international subscription are very substantial. It's a lot higher than if you're here in the U.S. But you can get a digital subscription currently for fifteen bucks a year, and I think if it's a three year, it's even it's like thirty six dollars or something. Or no, yeah, not, I do the three years. Yeah, I mean, the three years, you can get so what we used to do several years ago, Amazonas used to have an annual back issue sale. We just had ours basically the month of November leaning, uh, leading into the holiday season, uh, and the back issues were $8 instead of 10 Um But we used to several years ago do a $5 back issue sale. Well, the price of print has gone up 
price of postage has gone up. $5 just doesn't work anymore. But if you still want to get a copy of Amazonas for less than $5, subscribing is the way to do it. There's no shipping costs and it's delivered to your door. Three-year subscription, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it's very affordable compared to a lot of the other things we purchase these days. So, And you can always just go digital only and it's even less. And getting a subscription is fantastic so you don't have to steal your friend's magazine. Rob, stop That's looking right. at me, all right? Rob's. I have the digital version. I just wanted the print. Yeah. Right? Come on now. I hear you. And the other perspective, you show, uh, you walked us through how the magazine gets made, but the couple pieces that are uh, left out was the amount of photography you guys have to go through. Uh, who, who in the chain does that? Or does it just come from the, you know, exposés that are... are uh, trying to research the information or do you have set photographers that you send around the world um no no it's uh, generally the way both magazines work let's just say one of you guys wanted to write something for us you would have to furnish your photography it's very rare at this point that anyone can get into any of the aquarium magazines uh, to publish anything if you don't have photography supporting your own work so a, a lot of times now i'll get someone who will say hey i'm interested in writing for amazonas and uh, i had one one person who wrote in recently and said here's my blog here's some stuff and i just looked through everything and said number one thing you need to do is become a better photographer and it's you know, harsh but honest criticism especially since as you guys have heard amazonas starts out as a full magazine we don't have to put in anything homegrown in theory so the barrier the the level the bar if you will to get into either coral or amazonas is incredibly high because you're competing against content that we already paid for that you, came from Germany. you gotta beat the germans so, <laughs> yeah and so you and professionals yeah, you gotta, you gotta beat the germans i like that although i don't know stefan is swiss he might he might not like that he might um, <laughs> challenge accepted so, yeah so yeah, so, so the photography tends to come along with the article content, uh, whether it's whether it's from Germany, whether it's homegrown. If you're writing a story on breeding a fish and you can't even show me photos of you doing it, how are you the expert that should be writing this article? You might not have the best photos, but we have really, really long contributor guidelines that are put out there on the website for people who are interested to know what they need. And really your photography has to be high resolution, our minimum pixel width is 3000 and it has to be tack sharp, can't be blurry. And photography makes or breaks an article. There is some good content that's come across my desk since 2011 that I've had to say, hey, this is great, but if you don't have photos, there's nothing I can do with this. We do have access obviously to stock photography, uh, photographers that we work with who just have large libraries of fish that they've shot. If we're looking for a better picture than the one we got, we might ask around. That's kind of how photography works. Usually it comes with the article. You know, you're, you're talking about about photography. and For the average person listening, I mean, you might have to take 75 photos of that fish before you get one that's usable. I'm not, not, saying, not yes. good. Not I'm, not, good. I'm not saying great. I'm saying usable. It's just amazing how much time you'll spend on photographing this. And I want to tell you a quick story too, Matt. So sure. we deal, we buy some stock from Seagrass Farms. And sure. they say to me every time... That, that god dang Amazonas, every time they put a, a picture of a cool fish, I get a hundred phone calls on frickin' Monday going, hey, I want that fish that's an Amazonas. She goes, I just want to strangle those guys. Because they always find the best looking fish, they take the best pictures, and then people expect me to pull it out of my, out of my hat, you know? It's just hilarious. Well, uh, it's interesting, though, because it, it, that kind of just speaks to the, the relevancy of something like a print publication. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I look at it, I remember when we talked about taking over the magazines, the first time that, that 
subject was broached with my wife and she looked at me and she said, but isn't print dying? And it's like, not really. It's it's evolving. It's just, uh, we're, we're in this world where, I mean, you guys mentioned the, the type of content that's in Amazonas and how deep it goes. And part of that is because I should never have to publish, <clears throat> excuse me, I should never have to publish a how to set up your first aquarium article in Amazonas. That information is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. That's not what we're about. No one needs to pay for that anymore. We want to give you something of value that you're not going to find that was curated by experts that was giving you something that's new and different. I don't want to rehash the same 10 reader emails over and over again. So it's it's a little bit different. And I think having the, the feature focus back when I was a reader of Coral, I would get an issue of Coral. And I, I remember one particular I got was the Gorgonian issue. And I looked at the Gorgonian issue and I said, I don't keep Gorgonians. What do I need this for? And I probably flipped through it and I put it on the shelf and that was the end of it. I want to say maybe five, six years later, I had it in my head that I was going to set up a Gorgonian tank, a Caribbean biotope tank. I pulled that Gorgonian issue off the shelf and read it cover to cover. So having that library over time, it builds up that, that reference library right at your fingertips. I'll tell you, I've abused Jimmy's library quite a few times. I'll... Uh get some whiptail I've never seen in that someone donated or someone's looking for and I'm, I'm trying to find more information on it they're trying to figure out what pH and like hey Jimmy you got an episode on this and he's like yes but I need it back in a week I'm watching you and then he hands it over I read it cover to cover he has to sign a contract to bring it back see you know, we have a back issue shop and it would be mailed from Minnesota so it would get there in like a couple days so what you're saying is Robbie <laughs> don't be a cheap ass and get yourself some spend $10 and right. buy the copy already exactly or the check or check the digital archive. I mean, it's uh, we don't have all the issues in there currently, um, but we just restored 2017. It was a really, it was a gigantic expense when we upgraded the digital platform. The, the decision was made a few years back that we would not pull up, up all the back issues. But uh, we have 2017, 2018, 2019, and the first issue of 2020 in the in the digital archive that come with your digital access. So maybe you don't have to rate his his shelf. Yeah, stay out I of like, my house, Robbie. I like I like the print. I like the print. I like having that tangible magazine in my hand of course now i've read the magazine at least three times cover to cover before i ever get my copy so i right. don't actually ever look at it but so he's old school like me robs i i like having the magazine i can refer to i like buying old records you know so you can look at the front of the album and the back of the album and you can see and and you're more of a young punk who gives me crap about reading the Sunday newspaper because I'm killing trees. Yeah, but you were also trying to message a family member tapping this button downstairs that made a click noise. It was real weird. Shut up. <laughs> oh, you're talking about... <laughs> was it Telegraph? I don't remember what yeah, it was. Telegraph at home, yeah. You could, uh, you could definitely click that out. But See, these guys are... I'm the old guy in the podcast. I'm in my, my 50s, and these guys don't even know what a phone booth is, you know? And, no, and, Superman gets naked in them. No, he doesn't get naked in them. <laughs> Maybe not on TV, but we all know what happens. Yeah. But, you know, th things go in droves and stuff, and, and now look at uh, albums are gone for a long time, and now albums are coming back. And I think people really want to have that hard copy in their hand. I personally just love it, because what happens when the lights go out and you can't giggle it on your internet? And By uh, the way, I want to pause you there. The last uh, podcast we were editing, you literally said "giggle it on your inner tubes." Yeah, that that <laughs> that that's we're making a T-shirt out of that. Yeah. By the way, so that whole thing—that's a a standing joke amongst all of our friends. One of our friends had way too much to drink, and she says something just so oblivious, and we're all kind of looking at her, and she goes, "Well." giggle that on your inner tube and and we all was <laughs> what the heck was she just saying so that's been a that's been a standing uh thing that we've been talking about for years actually so all right so to get 
say, like, uh, say I'm a new user and I love Amazonist Magazine as much as I do, and I want to dedicate a small bookshelf and get all the copies I can, do you guys have, like, a purchase every edition special, you know? No, but I bet I could put one together. Oh, see? Just contact oh, yeah. them. I don't know. Contact Matt right. at Amazonas and he'll hook you up. <laughs> One million dollars, yes. I recommend yeah, I, having that. We, yeah, it's not a bad idea. Uh, if nothing else, just to uh, click once and get every issue. We just have to update it every time we add a new issue. There right. we go. So go to well, Amazonas I... Magazine, promo code Aquarium Guys, and you can buy every <laughs> issue. There you go. I got, at once. I gotta run. The, I gotta run that by a couple other people first. Uh, so. <laughs> all right. So give it two weeks after the podcast. We'll, we'll, no guts, no glory. We'll Matt. fast track this, guys. We'll keep you up to date. Just listen to the podcasts. So one of my favorite, one of my very favorite issues was the, the Zebra Plico, the L44 issue. Who L46. L46? Yeah, that's a true Zebra Plico. Ah, I was the, close. And for those that are listening that, you know, maybe a little bit more beginner in the podcast, Placos are identified by an L series. There are so many variations, colors, shapes, and sizes of Placos that they just got like, well, we're not going to come up with creative names, so they're just an L and a number system. And that number system has gone crazy. It is four digits deep and there are so many plecos still being identified today thanks guys that do continue that I fantastic. had we get questions after this and i'm the one that has oh, to deal with the repercussions thank you Jimmy. repercussions yeah i hope somebody punches you in the throat so they can't giggle that one on their inner tube well, well right. that, that that one has a name that's hypancistrus zebra yep so. and, and so yeah. who came up with that was that something that you stole from the germans uh dots i believe but that's that's a better question for stefan he's a catfish <laughs> expert ah uh, <laughs> excuse him because that was a fantastic so He's a catfish expert. My my expertise is, as I mentioned, jack of all trades. So actually, I'm a I'm probably better known in the aquarium world for breeding marine fish than anything I've done on the freshwater side of things. I actually went to one of your uh, when you were at the Minnesota down in the cities here. I yeah. showed up to one of your. You had some friends from Chicago. This was like your first. I this was a few years ago. Was it the okay, Aquarium yeah. Society or where was this? No, what was it was a reef, a saltwater a reef thing. TC Mass. Twin Cities Marine Aquarium Society? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I was very impressed. I mean, the, you, the amount of, I like breeding everything, but that is. Uh, uh, this is from a father of four who says he well, likes breeding it, everything. You know, it's interesting because I think, I don't know if all of you guys have spent time in the aquarium club circuit, but I grew up uh, in the fish clubs, you know, like Suburban Aquarium Society in Chicago and, you know, the GCCA and. Uh, Chicago Land Marine Aquarium Society, and I remember how important and motivating the Breeders Award programs were, and how so much a staple of the freshwater hobby is breeding. And as I evolved as a saltwater hobbyist, it was like this really isn't there. This is still the the final frontier, if you will. Man, that was just so alluring to go do things that no one had ever done, or or try to do things that no one had ever done. So it's very seductive side of fish keeping. But at the end of the day, I don't care if it has salt in the water or not. It's a fish I'm interested. So. So what is the, you know, most notorious thing or, you know, thing that really marks you? You said saltwater, but there's got to be like that that one niche. Every guy's got that favorite uh, favorite thing that they keep on their uh, mantle at home. Like you bre- were the one person that bred this species or accomplished <coughs> this. What what is what is your oh, pride okay. and joy? What's your claim to fame? Well, uh, okay, so I'm still <clears throat> I'm still the only person in the world who has spawned and successful, uh, successfully reared the orange spot filefish, Oxymonacanthus longirostris. That's, oh, a, uh, that's, that's an obligate cor- coralivore, and, and it kind of had, had, by the you know by the 2000s, people had said, it's a fish we should leave in the ocean. I love Bob Fenner uh, calls it a cut flower. 
Uh, it's a fish that's harvested. It looks pretty. You look at it for a couple of weeks, it withers away and dies. It's the perfect metaphor. And I had gotten to the point where I was already keeping Mandarin Dragonets and spawning those and getting some success. And then Iris Bunich in Germany bred the bristletail filefish, the Aptasia-eating filefish. And that just was like eye-opening to me. And I went out looking for that fish couldn't find it here in the U.S., but stumbled across some orange uh, orange spotted files at, at a store, talked to my wife a bit, and, and long story short, ended up pursuing that. And I think it took maybe a year and a half, two years to actually accomplish that. And that was, I definitely got lucky. See, kind of with that, with that, I, you know, literally on my mantle, uh, sitting right above me on my desk is my MASNA award from 2009, which is, they at the time it was the Marine... Aquarist of the Year, and now it's the Masna Award. Uh, they just renamed it, but it's this big glass fish trophy. I still feel that I am one of the least qualified among the recipients who've received that award. Uh, I actually tried to turn it down when they gave it to me and said, there's this other guy who deserves it more. And that was uh, Dr. Wittenrich. And they said, Matt's time will come, maybe this is your year. And okay. And the next year I got to introduce uh, Wittenrich, who also has received that award. So that was actually more of an honor to me than having that myself. But that's, that's kind of what I consider, that's a boyhood dream realized was breeding something that no one had ever done. And it, it just happened to be that particular fish. It could have been anything that no one had done. I think that's when you are in a chorus long enough, you're looking for a challenge. You're looking. That's we are all amateur scientists. We give so much back with the the basement experiments we do <laughs> to crack the husbandry code of a species, and it, you know it happens. So we just published breeding the blue-eyed placo, the first photographically documented uh, case of actually pr producing that fish. There is still many freshwater fish that have never been spawned and reared in captivity, and there are still many that. Maybe they're only done on large-scale farms with the use of hormone aids, but it's still a, it could still be an incredible accomplishment if someone figures out how to do it in a home aquarium setting. In a natural so, way. Yeah, so for me, being primarily a fish guy, it's, those are the stories I like to tell. Those are the stories I like to... Uh, anytime anyone's breeding a marine fish and they're doing something no one's ever done, I'm, I'm always just plugging like, hey, I want that for coral. As soon as it's ready, <laughs> I want to put it in coral uh, because people love to hear about those triumphs and those uh, those breakthroughs. It doesn't matter what side of the halo line it's on. So the other thing I'm known for is the lightning maroon clownfish. That's the other thing that has come out of my marine fish breeding. And that that's a whole nother topic all in and of itself. It's basically... A wild fish that was discovered in Papua New Guinea. I'm really shortening the story here. It's a clownfish. It's not going to be hard to breed in theory, but we don't know if it's genetic and all these other things. Well, it is genetic. And now lightning clowns are all over the place and they all literally are descended from the wild fish that's still living here in Duluth, Minnesota. That's fantastic. That and is fantastic. Before we go on, we just have to, you know, congratulate you. That is a wonderful accomplishment. And we love you know, weird flexes like that uh, on this podcast. You you definitely deserve some uh, some credit there. So don't turn down the trophy, man. That's all we're saying. Yeah. You know, take it when you get it because you earned that one. To get on some of the hard questions, right? So oh, okay. anytime you talk to a news outlet or something that has a you know publication, like we even gave, we had the Minnesota DNR on the podcast and had one of the managers, and we we got it, we gave her grief. We, we did hammered not ask on the we, easy questions. We hammered on her. We'll go easier on you, but uh, she would not tell you me. Don't, you don't need to go easy on me. Well, what, what's your most controversial article that's ever been published while you've been there? I think it's not really an article; it's the entire issue, uh, the man-made fishes issue. I knew that it was that out earlier. Yeah, I mean, we we just kind of looked at it and said, you know, it's time. 
Uh, it's time to have this discussion. It's time to to put it back to people. I mean, and, it, and even for me, it goes back to being a marine fish breeder, Picasso Percula. I think most people who have a, a passing awareness of the clownfish world, I mean, the clownfish are the, are the guppies of the marine aquarium world. Picasso Percula is basically just a fish with aberrant, unusual stripes that swirl and connect and, and do all these different things. And I remember in about 2006, I was so infuriated. I, I was... I know I went on record saying that the Picasso Percula was going to be the death of the three-striped clownfish. And then I got to know a whole lot more about clownfish genetics, diversity, biogeography, the origins of where these fish came from. And it, that knowledge just fundamentally changed my viewpoints on all of this. My work as an orchid breeder really gave me this totally different perspective on hybridization because the entire industry thrives off of hybrids, but it also conserves all the species because they are the building blocks of the hybrids. There are all these tangential things that for me, again, I'm only speaking for myself, that I felt, hey, we, we are so vehemently opposed to some of these things, but we're, it's, we're hardwired. It's just an ingrained ethic, but it, it causes all this division and hatred between aquarists who may not share our, our particular aesthetic uh, appreciations. And so the guy who's keeping flower horns and the guy who's worried about Victorian cichlids shouldn't necessarily have to be butting heads against each other. There's room for both. And I think that viewpoint only comes from being an Aquarist for a long time and having that depth of knowledge um, that just can't, you don't have the first time you get a fish tank. That issue was, we knew it was going to be con controversial. Each one of the Senior editors, including Anne, uh, published their own viewpoints. None of us had read each other's before seeing them in print. Or actually, I think I got to read everyone's because I proofed it. Cheater. We, we wrote all... We, we, well, it's my job. That's um, his job. So, <laughs> so He's a cop. My, my, they, had, they had all been written. So it, it was just making sure, you know, that everyone used the right punctuation. Um, so that was, that was intentionally meant to be not i don't want to say a divisive issue it was a we knew it was going to get a certain amount of feedback and i know we had a couple people say we are canceling our subscriptions we're never subscribing to your magazine okay all right exactly it, you, you're yeah, not gonna was, be able to please everybody I, I really think that this topic is everybody's that's a content creator in the aquarium world that, that you don't touch it and if you do shame on you we get so many people that come from different uh, youtubers and you know even other podcasts and they're you know they continue to ask us how do you feel about this and they're trying to angle the question in some way like so instead of this i'm going to answer this question first or first and foremost when we were talking with our, our listeners and we just do it head on. We talk about each type of man-made, you know, fish. There's the, you know, genetically done glowfish. There's the injected. There's the dyed and tattooed. You know, we go through them all and there, there's no, no shame in talking about it. People need to know that they're out there so they can make an yeah. educated decision and know what it does to the creature. You know, and the other thing that as much as people, some, most people are either hot or cold on this stuff. And at least, like with the glowfish, let's let's lose that real quick. You know, it brings people into the hobby who probably weren't interested in the hobby in the first place. Like, you know, young kids because of the bright colors and whatnot. You know, so they do glowfish for a little while, and all of a sudden they, they find uh, a pair of black convicts, and then pretty soon they're breeding fish, and pretty soon they've got 30 tanks. And that's what we want. We want people to, yeah. to get in the hobby. You know, I'm old school. I want people to uh, have 30 tanks in their in their basement as a start, you know, and then grow from there. So how many tanks are you running at your house or your, or do you have a facility? Or? Well, so my fish room is in my basement. So I have just a couple uh, tanks upstairs 
if everything is up and running, which it isn't right now, uh, there's about 2,000 gallons of capacity. That's a nice start. <laughs> You'll get there someday. We'll no, with you. No. We're only running right now about 25, 30 tanks in our basement. I, I had 600 tanks at one time, and, and it all depends on your level of insanity. And, well, uh, and, and responsibilities. I have two magazines to Right, to and energy. And, and, time. and kids. And I have two kids that are, you know, one's six and one's nine. And, oh, Lord. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I don't have, I think... Uh, there's maybe a dozen freshwater tanks running right now, a couple saltwater systems, a couple standalones. Uh, I have a lot of vivarium plants as well now, um, and dart frogs. All these all these hobbies are kind of interconnected. I look at, you know, keeping a poison dart frog is just the terrestrial reef tank or the terrestrial version of a planted tank. It's just there's no water. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> so all these uh, interests that I have had over the years, they all are related uh, Basically, I'm just I'm always redoing things and reworking things, um, but I don't have the time I had 10 years ago. So projects uh, don't happen as quickly as they used to. And I think everyone who's been a parent can probably appreciate that. Does anyone in your family have as much interest in it as you? No, because <laughs> I'm very lucky. My, my wife has a great interest in it and she has her own tank upstairs with discus. And uh, nice. I, have, I have shrimp tanks downstairs and angelfish and whatnot. And it, it's nice to have that camaraderie when we're doing water changes and smacking each other with a hose, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Be nice. Well, all right. Yeah. It's uh, my. It's funny because my wife, uh, who wasn't my wife at the time, I, I was in between prof- professional jobs as a as a software developer. I was kind of looking for the right one and wasn't getting the, the interviews I wanted. And she found a job posting at a local fish store and said, "Hey, why don't you apply for that?" And uh, okay, sure, yeah, I've, I I had done that in my teens and early twenties and. I think that was pretty much the one year in my life. I know I've, I say I've been an aquarist for 37 years, but I think I had like two years where I didn't have an aquarium at home. I had one in, in the office I had been working at, but when we parted ways, the aquarium stayed there. So there was this brief period of about six months where I was not taking care of an aquarium. Then I got this job and, and my wife said, you know, wouldn't it, it would be nice to maybe have a pair of clownfish. Oh yeah, I can do that. And brought home the tank, set it up for her. And that was great. And then another tank and another tank. And uh, she claims now that she never asked for that pair of clownfish. Yeah. Women are liars. Yeah. I'll go with that. I'm not saying that. Smooth. Just- <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to get him in trouble. <laughs> she's going to listen into this. No, she's not. She's, she, she's, she's got better things to do with her time than listen to us. I tell you that much. R- Renee is an incredible partner who's very supportive and, uh, good and, cover uh, look now you're making him cover his tracks wow oh boy no, tolerance tolerance she tolerates it she would she'd prefer that there was less so but she understands it's it's my job it's it's uh who would buy or want to buy an aquarium magazine that's not put together and published exactly by experienced aquarists it's just that simple so uh, i better be keeping fish and i better be inv- invested and evolved otherwise anything i do i have nothing to contribute so yeah. And like I've said many times on this podcast, sometimes it's easier uh, to apologize than to get permission. That's how I go around. Smooth. <laughs> My smooth. dad used to say that all the time when he'd come home with a new boat or something, you know. I'll, I'll use that next time. There you go. I'm going to get a boat now. So another big question is, you know, what's the, you told us the most controversial issue. So, you know, what's the most popular issue? Number one bestseller you've ever sold? I don't have those numbers in front of me. No? Not on the top of your I head? Was, like, how about feedback? I, well, I, what was the best I feedback? Can tell you that, I can tell you that Angels Rising is probably one of the ones that's most in demand. Our first issue is is one that's popular. <laughs> There's also, um, see, you guys all think you might have complete 
libraries, but there's also the prototype edition, which none of you have. I'll just leave that out there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Some, now you're going to have people calling you. <laughs> Great. It, it, it Call Matt at 1-800. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have, I have one copy. I don't have another one to offer. So uh, I think there were a hundred of them produced. So if someone is into collecting. Go to aquaswap.com <laughs> where he's going to start the bidding at $10,000. $1 million. So, um, no, I think uh, I think the Angels Rising, the beta issues, uh, and, and again, I, I don't mean to pull those up because they're near and dear to my heart and the things that I had in them. I also know that they're just popular fish. So, of course, th those topics are going to grab someone. Whereas putting African soda lake cichlids on the cover, that's, that's a more arcane type of fish to talk about. And that's not going to grab the interests uh, of people. That's that's the equivalent of the Gorgonian issue, where you look at it and say, oh, I'll just put that on the shelf. And then five years later, you're like, I got these at an auction. What are they? Oh, Amazonas. Oh, boom. And, and now it's relevant. I'd hope that people start to appreci appreciate when they get in a, a feature like uh, and there's, I also hope there's something in every issue for everyone. Not everyone's going to be into African Soda Lake cichlids. I don't expect them to be. I mean, um, e even issues that I haven't necessarily immediately found the uh, need in, there's been a wealth of knowledge of just the sources that you guys have in each issue showing where you get this content from is enough where I can spend days on an issue just looking into their content. So it, it definitely leads you into new areas, even like the, the sub-articles or even the featured fish in the back of the episode. There's always something in every issue. I totally agree. You know, there are so many good things in these things that... Have you guys ever thought about doing like local breeders in the U.S. that do particular items? We've had so many great people on this podcast we've been very very blessed with with different people steve rubicki was on from angels plus we had uh, jim kitchen the plico king on uh, have you guys ever thought about doing an issue on just uh, local u.s readers? um well as as it kind of goes back to what i mentioned from the start which is we start out with a german issue that we've paid for mm -hmm. so you you, you have gotta the write team it jimmy in germany well uh, you gotta write it and send it to germany first no i'm kidding i will um, and then and then i'll <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put a picture no, on we, my cave wall and i'll take a picture of that have, and send it to you we have had in the past, I know we've done uh, at least a couple U.S.-based fish rooms. One of the one of my really old friends, Mike Helford, I, I've been pestering him, especially since he built that new fish room, that I want to get down there. I want to see it. I, I have a feeling it's something that I would personally pursue to put in, in the magazine. There's so many great aquarists out there that I, I don't think we could ever feature all of them. So I'd, I would hate to pick and choose, but it's not a bad idea. There's, there's really no bad ideas. I mean, it's a come right down to it because it's such a vast hobby so so the, i like it the the bigger one to ask you is out of all the articles that you can remember at the top of your head there's a ton that's been, been going through but every news magazine any news warehouse company they want to be able to make an impact really bring a story to attention to change the thoughts of their their listeners or, or our readers and out of those can you pick one of your favorites that the article either changed the perception or did something for conservation or really impacted the hobby bar none compared to some of the rest? Huh. Um, I would say our past coverage of Belomonte and the Rio Jingu has been really important to keeping that in front of people. So like the, the article Chaos in Black and White is still, that's one where we took, and I believe we excerpted it from the magazine and put it onto the website so it was free to access. Because we, you know, in addition to the, the two month cycle of content, we also have all the online content, which is, you know, basically blog-based content. And it might be news items. Right now there's a huge problem with the aquarium fishery in Hawaii. It's been <coughs> shuttered for two years. So that's a, that's a coral related issue, but yeah, the, the chaos in black and white is 
stands out thinking about it for 30 seconds and the the issues around Belamonte. And, and I don't want to go back to an article we've already talked about, but that whole uh, man-made fishes issue was put out there to really provoke thought and provoke discussion. And I, I feel really strongly in my own perspective. And so I wanted to put that on the table and say, hey, may, maybe there's room for both here. And it's been a problem in the marine fish breeding world, and that's just starting to be a thing. And if we can't get breeders there to see the bigger picture, where, where are we going to end up? So it's important to put out ideas that maybe people haven't thought of or might initially be averse to. But even our coverage of Project Piava over the years, those issues are, are always in the back of our mind. I mean, I, I was really excited when I found out that Seagrest was distributing Piava fish. And I was like, I, I want to get those. Efforts like that go a long way to, to helping a community that's another continent away, preserving rainforests. Those are important things that we try to bring back to our readers. But even, even just Putting the biodiversity of like having a killifish feature and reminding people the killies that are out there or talking about rainbow fish. I mean, some of these fishes could easily just be gone in the blink of an eye. And some of that content doesn't make it into the magazine because it's it's online. We can only put so much in 100 pages. And sometimes it's newsworthy, so it's more important to get it out quickly, which is where we'll use social media and our blogs, our email newsletter, which uh, has not been as, as routine as I'd like it to be, and that falls on me cover those issues all the time. We just had a lot of coverage about the ALA convention, the recent donations that were made by the Goodyear work, work Group and some of their fundraising efforts. I'm trying to think what else we got going. Well, I'll let you ask another question. If something else jumps up, I'll, I'll bring it up. But Sounds great. Um, I, I know one of the... Uh... The big things that always kept me to, to the magazine and that brought a little wonder that I really didn't get elsewhere is you know, online, there's a bunch of misinformation. And generally, Aquarius try to, at least a select bunch of them, try to keep their insider secrets. And it really does harm the hobby. I know we, we did a big podcast about the shrimp hobby. That's only been started since the mid-90s. And there's still mm -hmm. a lot of misinformation. You can't even go to a Wikipedia page to get basic facts of care just because it's so still locked down and, and shadow and secrecy. You guys don't cover up anything. Everything's really there from the perspective of the uh, interviewee. And above all else, you're bringing new fish to light. Most people, you know, they'll hear about, oh, this fish was discovered four years ago. There's no other place that I can think of to really publicate on a broad scale. You know, this, you guys won't believe this, this cool species was found. Here's how it was found. Here's what we know about them. And here are what researchers are trying to find out. And it just brought well, more I, wonder to some, to a to a hobby that in my perspective, because I'm only, you know, 30 years old, really was already discovered within the last, you know, few decades. There's still new species. There's still new things to learn. And just from you saying that you bred, you're one of the few people or the only person in the world to breed a certain species of fish just shows the untapped potential. And Amazonas really does a great job of covering that. If you get bored keeping aquariums over the long haul, you're not doing something right. There is so much to do that no aquarist could ever do at all. I mean, my, my weakest link as an Aquarius right now is freshwater planted keeping. I, I have not figured that out yet. And uh, you know the whole aquascaping genre to me, I know what it represents and I know what it is, but in my personal aquarium keeping, the few attempts I've made, I've just gone down in flames. It takes time to master things. But more to your point, I, I was reminded of the, of the volcano bitterling story that we just ran. And I want to say that was in the November, December issue. I mean, that's that's a brand new species. People Spoiler alert. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, no, no, that one's already out. That one's already you can, yeah, that's out. Oh, okay. Um, that was a good. That was a good article. Yeah, I mean, and and that one is, you know, I don't think he talks. Uh, he doesn't say that here's how you breed them because I don't think we know yet. So uh, we have ideas on how we could approach this species, but then again, how many people have even heard of a bitterling before? I mean, it's just such a vast hobby that you should never run out of things that are new or interesting to you. And, and that's that's kind of where the club scene still has, I think, merit is, you know, the, with the BAP programs that encourages people to try new fish and encourage, encourages through friendly competition to specialize in something or to go to the next level or try something else. It keeps people engaged in the hobby. You know, there, there are those fish that You'll love uh, the moment you you find them, and 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 you'll never let go of that love. And there are fish that you'll keep and enjoy. And ah, I'm kind of tired of these, and pass them on to the next hobbyist to try something new. I, I think that the hobby, by and large, accepts that, especially because we have things like fish auctions where diehard hobbyists can exchange their animals to other people who are presumably, if you're at a fish auction, you're at least somewhat aware of what's going on and interested, and you're not just walking in off the street. You have to have been doing it a few years to know that there's such a thing in the first place. That's kind of my take. And and the magazine is just an outlet to encourage that and to keep you engaged and excited and to expose you to new things, new ideas. So I can't let anybody leave the podcast that has a, some sort of business company or product without trying to milk some insider secrets from you. So, you know, in the future, you've been through the company since the first you know English publications. So yes. what changes are coming and is there any, you know, spoilers you can give us not necessarily content or upcoming issues but maybe how the magazine's changing um no there is nothing i can no share leaks <laughs> come on man the magazine's perfect get off his back I, I i was hopeful there is there is something coming i was hopeful i could talk about it i can't i just know it's coming i just know it was a good investment our readers will be happy i no one's going to complain well, well i i would free amazonas for everybody yeah so no, how about this well, right no Go halvesies yeah, yeah. with so, me, right? You can't talk about what it is, but can you talk about when we're going to know? Oh, that's I'm nice. sorry, what was that? You can't tell us what it is, but can you talk about when we're going to find out? No. Wow. Dad, <laughs> no. come I would, on. I would love to. Wow. I would lo- it's, not, it's probably not going to happen until 2020. P- portions of Which this is like project, three days away. Right. We're not that far. <laughs> well, I, uh, so, yeah. So, I'm, I'm pretty wide open there. 2020 is a, a full year. Yes, it so, is. So, um, no. I could say that portions of, of what we've been working on have been completed, but other portions uh, that we're working on are still being nailed down. And my part of this project is largely done. Uh, of course so I know it is. That it's com- I know that it's coming. <laughs> I just don't know when. All right, so we we have to rule out that it's not something in Flash. So that's uh that's all. Yeah, you can rule you can rule that out. So you know you're talking about about all the freshwater tanks and stuff. We had the opportunity last week. Robbie and Adam and I went and got to see a saltwater tank, and we did a whole podcast on that, which is coming up here in a few weeks. That was and a mixed reef tank. Mixed reef tanks. Okay. Over 700 species of coral in a 2,000 gallon tank. And okay. We went. We went over there, and it's it's actually not that far from you. No, don't give me. T- don't give too many spoilers. Not, he not, didn't give us a spoiler. I, you know what? I'm Come just on, gonna, man. It's only fair. <laughs> and and uh, this guy is is uh, was so gracious to invite us into his home, a beautiful home. And we go over there, and he takes his water test and sends him to Germany. What is it with Germany? Yes. That's what I want to know. <laughs> that's what you got to ask. Well, Everything with the aquarium he, is Germany. He, he sends he sends the, water test every two weeks to Germany for this two thousand yep. gallon tank. Well, yeah, when you're at that scale and that and that economy, it makes uh, it makes sense. And that's a subscription service. Um, and there are ICP tests now in the U.S., which should cost a little less, but they offer different things. But I think as a reef keeper, 
my my most successful reefs have been low tech, low maintenance, and generally on the smaller side because it stems from the freshwater world where generally speaking, water changes are your reset and they're easy and cheap and to do. And as long as you can deal with that, you can be a very successful aquarist with little other technology involved. Um, my best reef tank right now is a 1.25 gallon apothecary vase that sits in my front entryway. It's stunning. Everything is growing fantastically. All I do is a 100% water change and it's circulated by nothing more than a rigid airline and has a uh, the, the most technologically advanced part of that setup is the PAR38 LED light and the Cobalt uh, Slimline heater and then the Finex heater controller, which controls the heater because it's a 1.25 gallon volume of water. And we live in Duluth, Minnesota. When I open the front door, it's zero degrees or negative five <laughs> right now. And all that air hits this 1.25 gallon of water. The heater better keep up and also better shut off when I want it to. So the heating is the most expensive part of this whole setup. And the corals have been growing. I have postalopora that spawned all over the tank multiple times. So we have coral babies growing in the tank in 1.25 gallons of water. It's literally a goldfish bowl of coral reef. And it's probably the most successful easiest tank I've ever kept, but it is never going to be the same uh, impression that a well-established grown out 2000 gallon reef tank with hundreds of fish is going to be. It's just different extremes of the spectrum. I got a feeling uh, I that, can't, uh, I got a feeling I can't that's going to be a block to 2000 gallon reef tank. So <laughs> yeah, you know how some people make it look really easy. It, this looked really hard and it, and it was, I mean, we sat there and, and questioned this, uh, this gentleman and we'll have more about it in a future podcast. <coughs> And he was so, so sweet and so nice and gave us all the information we wanted. We we're just doing the math in our head about what he spends just on maintenance in a month. And it just blew my mind. It's unbelievable. I believe it. Gotta love the hobby. Yeah. So no, no, we need to see that, uh, that article on reef tanks for uh, up all or on a budget for a one gallon reef tank on the next uh, uh, magazine. Whole, we have a, we have a whole coral uh, magazine issue devoted to that. It was it's already done, Robbie. Oh, well, we got to go buy yeah. the issue then. <laughs> Yeah, uh, let me see here. I'm just looking at my shelf. See the shelf. If you borrow it to him, you might want to make him Vol sign sign a contract. You get it back. <laughs> it's volume 15, number one, micro reefs. There you go. Uh, of, of Coral Magazine. You know, my vase reef goes back to Maritza, who is the original vase reef. Her reef tank has been running for like seven years or six years now in a very similar size setting. And I basically just follow the recipe she gave. Uh, and it's the recipe we outline in the uh, in the magazine. And I think my setup, excluding animals, probably cost me maybe $100. Wow. Which is not that. That is super simple. You know, you can mix up. I remember back when I was in my teens, I was limited. My parents did not let me take over the whole house with aquariums, or I would have. But I was working in the, in the pet trade, working for full-line pet stores, and then later aquarium specialty stores. Back then, my most successful reef tank was, again, it was a 12-gallon tank that held six gallons of water when it was all said and done. And I just literally kept the water changes sitting and mixed up the salt water in gallon milk jugs and just threw them in the front entryway hall closet. And then once a week, I did a one gallon water change on six gallons of water. So a little less than 20%. And I just did it every week. That tank was fantastic. So sometimes we used to tell you, you need a big tank because it's more stable, changes happen slower. And that's true, but I think we're to the point where we understand what corals need uh, now that Maybe in our equipment's better, maybe we can get away. A 10-gallon reef tank is a very reasonable prospect. And water changes, you know, 
when you're sending off your your salt water to a lab in Germany Germany to be tested, part of it is because when you're doing a 20% water change or even a 10% water change, a 10% water change on a 2,000 gallon aquarium, so that's 200 gallons. That's $100 of salt if you're using a high-end salt. That's $100 to do a water change. If I told you to do a 10% water change every week on a 2,000 gallon reef tank, you're spending 400 a month just on salt. So it becomes the economies of scale change and it's cheaper to, to test and dose the what's needed and to conserve your water. On a small tank, it makes no sense, at least to me. Uh, it's easier to just stick with something you're familiar with. Match the salinity, max the temp match the temperature, do the water change, you're good. So it works very well. And for a lot of freshwater people, that's just the natural progression of the hobby is. is is to try it to is. go and do something a little bit different with salt water. And so if you've not tried salt water, that would be a perfect time to do it with Matt just said is just get yourself a, a, a smaller aquarium and just start small and don't spend a bunch of money don't go out and buy a 150 gallon tank and spend you know fifteen hundred dollars and then fail so i have i have something to branch off of this right matt hear my pitch so you have this great saltwater magazine you have a fantastic freshwater magazine we need to make like a hobo you know <laughs> newspaper on brackish tanks <laughs> That's what we need to do. You and me, bro. We'll we'll do it together. We'll make a publication every uh, once every two months. We will run out of content very quickly. What? What? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> black molly. There we go. I, black molly. I um. We had some coverage on archers recently. I'm actually a, a big fan of archer fish. That's been another one that I've been kind of eyeing to try to breed. Uh, I know they've been done, but rather sporadically, and there's not a lot of information out there. And so I've actually been working for a while to just keep some archer fish around and see if I can get them spawning. Because being where they live, uh, like Mono Bay and Mono Argentius, those fish, we think of them as brackish fish, and we know they can kind of tolerate freshwater, but they actually have a saltwater component to their adult life cycle. They are actually saltwater fish. They've spawned and breed like a lot of pelagic spawning saltwater fish because they are. So looking at, at archer fish, I'm like, yeah, they're going to maybe be a little more like those fish. I have the marine fish breeding background. Um, I've successfully reared like 10 species, I think at this point, and I've spawned 30 or so. And, and so I'm, I've kind of been looking at some of these fish that maybe I can apply saltwater knowledge to what we do with them and see if we can crack it or, or do better. So archer fish have kind of a quiet, uh, silent obsession of mine. Don't feel bad. It, uh, it's, it's on a lot. We actually did a upcoming episode about brackish. And if you haven't tried them, put some mangrove uh, wood above and watch them shoot a cricket. Best fish you can ever get. Yeah. Yeah. They're fantastic. And they're very personable too. I find my archers know who I am. They, they know, you know, they're, they're, they're pets. They're, they're more than just fish that just kind of school around. They're, they're certainly engaged. Well, Matt, we, we appreciate you having on. Is there Anything you, you felt we missed that you want to tell us about? No, I'm, I, I'll, I'll share with everyone that I'm trying to pester both my, my partners and, and Anne to find time to uh, come on and, and share their experiences and viewpoints with you guys. And I really appreciate you guys taking the time to ask me to come on and ramble about myself, uh, you know. <laughs> we, we love it. And we'd love to make this a, you know, a series to really get perspective from uh, your team editors or interviewers. Or there's a lot of experience that, can, that comes out of your magazine that, I think really just would love to go in the background of give a give a better perspective of the people that write the magazine. So, Jimmy, do you have any other questions? Did I have any other questions? Do you ever get to travel much for work, Matt? I mean, do they send you to exotic lands like <coughs> Hawaii, like South Dakota, <laughs> South Dakota? <laughs> Uh, I will be, I will be in Green Bay, Wisconsin next summer. 
Ooh. Uh, in July. In wear July. Your, so wear your Viking um, shirt. I believe I will. I believe I will probably will be at Macna in Arizona next fall. Most of my travel is self-funded or if I'm invited out to speak somewhere. Someone like Mike uh, Tucinardi has done a lot of travel for the aquarium industry on his own time and written about it. Generally speaking, pretty much stuck here. My wife is a school teacher. Travel opportunities are limited. She, she doesn't know exactly what I was contemplating, but I was looking at a, a South America trip to surprise her with next year until I saw the expense. Yeah. Pu- publishing magazines is not a get rich quick scheme. So, so we will not be tra- we will not be traveling to South America. So how about um, South Dakota? That's pretty close. And probably <laughs> I got cheaper. No issue. I'm happy to come to South Dakota. That's so. it. We're going to have to drag you to Aquashella. That's what we're going to have to do. Be our bucket list. We'll party well, there together. You know, when when, uh, when uh, Aquatic Experience was in Chicago, um, my family's originally from Chicago and I'm from Chicago. So I'm always looking at the Chicago uh, events because I can go crash with my parents or at least hang out at their house, whether they're there or not. Uh, it's it's an eight-hour drive to get to Chicago. I still uh, know my way around. So I always keep an eye on the Chicago events to see which ones I can make. Generally speaking, I'm happy to drive to speak at clubs that are in the upper Midwest here because I know how hard it is to get speakers, especially clubs that want to have you know, a speaker every month. That Getting a speaker to Duluth, Minnesota, maybe once a year is a challenge. So to, to have a club where you're bringing in someone every month, the financial aspects of that, pretty pretty demanding on a club. So I will generally happily show up, present Amazonas, represent my other business, and represent Coral share my passion for what I do with Aquarius in the room. Beyond that, I'm trying to think what else is going on. It was I, on the tip of my tongue, but I forgot about it. I've got a quick... I forgot about it. Well, no, you <laughs> didn't forget about it. You just... It's a secret, and it's going to start 2020. You heard it here first. Something oh, big is happening. Uh, oh, there, there is... I can't say, I, I cannot say. Oh, wait, come on. Maybe I, uh, just, just give I, us I, a little tease. I, come I, on, man. Whisper it. Uh, well, there, well Nobody if listens. I could ask you guys, in all seriousness, since you will be editing this. I will be. Um, I will tell you in confidence and say that you cannot put this out. Until all they're going to hear is a bunch it. of ducks right now. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> until, until I've cleared it. But there will be, uh, I believe, I believe the contracts are signed. There will be uh, the Marine Breeders Workshop will be held in the Twin Cities uh, in 2020. Nice. So we've, we've been holding that. We've been holding that for 10 years, Detroit, Michigan area. Uh, it was uh, founded by uh, Tal Sweet and the team at the Marine Life Aquarium. Mazum Tal had has been running it for 10 years and he said I still want to be involved but maybe I, I need to step back a little bit from being the head guy will I will gladly come back on and say more about that if you would like me to once it's public but I believe I believe it's it's signed it's a done deal it's happening that will be in July don't ha- have the date in front of me but je- that is I can't say where it's going to be held yet either, but it's going to Mall be Mall of America, very, people. Hey, it's it, that's okay. No, 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 <laughs> nope, not, not. I could say it's not Mall of America. There we go. Uh, it's, Minnesota. It's going to be. Petco. It's going to be held in this in the Twin Cities at a very fantastic facility, not in the Mall of America. Petco. This. This con- no, not on a Petco either. <laughs> it's not gonna. <laughs> so you can you can whittle down as much as you want, but well, so we appreciate speaking, the info. <laughs> the, the, this event tends to draw people from the scientific community, the public aquarium community, and uh, private aquarists like myself who breed marine fish. It draws fifty to hundred people, depending on the year. But you know, like a lot of times. You know, the, the, the discussion of the first captive bred yellow tangs or, or you know, someone breeding a butterfly fish for the first time, those people are sitting in that room. 
the people who've done that are there. Martin Moe, uh, he's been to a few of them. Uh, anyone who's been around the saltwater aquarium hobby long enough knows who Martin Moe is. You don't get to sit in a room with 50 people or 100 people next to Martin Moe with 10 minutes to bend his ear between the talk in any other setting. We, we talked about it at great length, and I had always told Tal since I had helped uh, promote it and obviously have a vested interest in it that if he ever wanted to, to step back from it, I would be willing to help possibly bring it to Duluth. Through some people talking and, and discussions, we decided we actually had a really good opportunity to uh, hold this event in the Twin Cities. I will talk to Tal, make sure I can have you guys put that out on the 26th. You might not be able to, but it will be coming. And at some point, I'll be able to talk very freely and openly about it. I would say that this is an event that if you are anywhere in the region and have any interest in fish breeding in general, I, I still remember being told breeding clownfish was impossible. And, and that whole, you know, that's why freshwater and saltwater, that spillover of, of uh, interest in breeding is just a natural fit. To be able to come to the Twin Cities to an event like this in our region is fantastic. I hope that Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, the Dakotas, uh, Illinois, I hope we put on a really good showing and really represented this event because uh, it's going to be a really exciting event this year. So, Well, I'm going. For, for, <laughs> for those of you that just, uh, just uh, listened to that, it's either you heard him and his super secret thing that he just told us about, or you heard some terrible sound effect that Mr. Pickles clipped of me in Discord. So if you heard the <laughs> thing Mr. Pickles clipped of me in Discord, you know it's confidential, and whatever it is, is going to be in 2020. And we appreciate having you on, Matt. We really, really do. And go to amazonasmagazine.com. Be sure to subscribe to this magazine. You can purchase a year up front. Three years is a better deal. You can buy it for a friend and even purchase their intense library of back issues all the way to the beginning for the English edition at 10 bucks a pop. Certainly give them a, 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 a look-see. They have a free issue. You can go right on their uh, website and try to see how you like the format. Wealth of knowledge, even if, you like you said before, even if it's not necessarily your article, you're going to use it. You're, there's going to be pieces in there that you're going to love. It's a fantastic magazine. Certainly subscribe. And what a great Christmas gift. What a great birthday gift what a great anniversary gift oh you just bought that for me jimmy no we don't have an anniversary robs because we're not doing it <laughs> but but dad no we're not i really want amazon's <laughs> magazine that isn't just digital yeah no you can read my digital copy fine all right well thanks again guys and make sure to uh subscribe and uh on the podcast app if you're using spotify stitcher Tune in Apple Podcasts. Make sure it automatically downloads. It uh, saves directly to your phone, so you don't have to worry about being in a you know out of signal area. And you know it helps our numbers and supports our podcast. So thanks again for all your support, and we shall see you on the next podcast. Thanks, guys, for listening to this podcast. Please visit us at AquariumGuysPodcast.com and listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes and anywhere you can listen to podcasts. We're practically Thanks. everywhere. We're on Google. I mean, just go to your favorite place, Pocket Casts, subscribe to make sure it gets push notifications directly to your phone. Otherwise, Jim will be crying in his sleep. Can, can I listen to it in the in my treehouse? In your treehouse, in your fish room, even alone at work. What about at my man cave? Especially your man cave. Yeah. Only if Adam's there. No. With feeder guppies. No. No. They're endless. You midget loving sucking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll see you next time. <laughs> Later.